This is Twa Teams One Street from the Evening Telegraph, the only podcast as obsessed with Dundee and Dundee United as you are. This week, United stopped the rot with Livy Point, and Cameron's cracker sees D Cruz at Cove. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Twa Teams One Street, brought to you by the Evening Telegraph. This week, two of us in person, that's me, Tom Duthie, and you, George Cran. Hello. And, remotely, Alan Temple. Oh, technology is a marvellous thing, isn't it? Hello, everyone. It's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> we, think, we think this is uh, working. Uh, if it's not working, it's the best one ever, and you've yeah. all missed a great show. It's very strange, because usually we can see Alan, if, or if anyone's remote, we can usually see them on video, but it's just a voice from the either. Especially the day after the game, we can see how well or badly United have played by Alan's face, <laughs> so we've, we're, sort of, we're blind uh, yeah. today. I'm, I'm just sort of... I'm just the reason sort of, Alan's remote is... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just giving off sort of frostbite and uh, misery after last <laughs> night. Yeah, it's nothing yeah to do he's with already football, been though. complaining about it. So it's winter in Scotland, what did you expect? Yeah, fair dues. Can't turn up in a pair of Speedos. <laughs> is, it not technically, is it not technically spring? Are we not supposed to be enjoying the weather turning no. into something a little warmer? I think spring's not for another week or ten days, but I'm not going to hold myself down to that. I think yeah. it's round about the solstice. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm, I'm out with my comfort zone speaking about football, but when I start speaking theological here. things. <laughs> <laughs> this week, Twa Teams One Street's brought to you by Michael Fish. <laughs> anyway, the reason Alan's remote is he's still down in the land of the general land of Lothian uh, because he was at Livingston last night where United stopped it off with a point, Alan. Yeah, that's indeed. good news. Yeah, it how was, did they play? It was um, the first half was uh, maybe a step short of abominable. It was uh, just they were dire. Um, I think it, they, the half ended up with nine shots to one. Granted, Dundee's one shot was a sitter that that said that and a lot have of them seem to be in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, they just they did not come out the blocks. Um, the the three five two didn't work. Well, all that happened was Joe Nubley and Christian Montano ran absolute riot round down the United right, where Kieran Freeman was too often isolated against two men. Um, and chance after chance after chance came, and young Kieran should have been sent off. There's absolutely no shadow of a doubt about that. Um, he was booked rightly for an early hefty tackle after miscontrolling the ball and then barreling through his opponent. And then on the half hour mark, he just tugs back. Christian Montano was clear as day, and it's it's almost a. If you were to say to anybody, what is a foul that you know is an automatic yellow card? A lot of them would say, "Well, we know a, a pull of the shirt, pulling a shirt back, yeah. obviously, is a is your sort of go to obvious yellow card defence." And only Matthew McDermott will know why um, he didn't flash the the red card. Um, Three minutes later, Jim Goodwin took off uh, Kieran Freeman. I was going to say, I noticed he got hooked. I take it it was a direct result. Yeah. Good oh, management. Was, yeah, it was cl- clearly it was good proactive management for a, 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 to take off a player who, listen, it happens. He was having a bad night and he was going to get sent off. It was just that that is just, you know, <laughs> it happens. But the frustration from, from Livy will be that 
Jim Goodwin should never have been allowed to make that change. Uh, Kieran Freeman should yeah. have already been off the pitch. But as I say, I may touch on it there, the, the proactive management. I mean, not only did did Jim Goodwin take off Kieran Freeman, which was sensible, but then took off Sadat and Aku at half-time. He changed to a back four, uh, a kind of 4-2-3-1, which meant that without the ball, United did at least have two players in wide areas, sometimes more, with, with somebody shuffling over from central midfield. So it was it was a manager changing the game positively and in the second half they were a completely different team now don't get me wrong it wasn't champion football it wasn't where you would like the end point of this journey to be in terms of Jim Goodwin's Dundee United but there was fight they were they got balls into the box they were just generally um, a more aggressive front-footed side and at the time the goal came I think it yeah on the balance of play uh, probably Livingston had still been the better team, but you could kind of see there was a goal coming, which was a good sign and mm-hmm. great finish from Aziz Behic. And yeah, there was a few hairy moments. Mark Birigiti spilled one onto the post and likewise Dundee United had a couple of decent chances. Charlie McGrew forcing a good late save from a free kick. So I'm loath to say a point was right at the end because we're sometimes all guilty of this, that if a game finishes... In a certain way, you think that the team, you know, the team that finished the game well, now you know definitely deserves something. I'm still that first half. Livingston could have genuinely been completely out of sight. So I'm kind of loath to say that the point was merited. But what I would say is the response was was definitely good. And also they went for a win. Obviously, that's what they wanted from a game in hand. Mm-hmm. But it's a really really big point. Um, just when when you get to this point uh, towards the end of the season where little tiny margins matter, that point is the difference between being one match day away from overtaking Kilmarnock hmm. and requiring yeah, I was two going to match say, they're days. going into games now knowing they might not be bottom if they do well they might not be bottom of the league exactly, at the end of the a, 90 minutes exactly because they have a better goal difference than Kilmarnock so they are now just one match day away from turning around that deficit to Kilmarnock compared to being two so that uh, although the point might not be exactly what they went from make no mistake see when you get into this stage of the season when the margins are so fine that could be a really, really important point. Yeah, and you know, I was going to say, going back to the personnel changes and the tactical changes, one of the big problems about changing a manager during the season is sometimes he's got to look at his personnel and what's the best formation. He's got to decide that in games. So it's important he's willing to change things during games as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And he's shown that he'll do that during games. Um, absolutely. His changes against Aberdeen were, were also very effective. Um, when he brought on Arno Zoom and Sadat Anaku, both were involved in winning the penalty and it was Anaku's performance that got him the start at Livingston. And then even prior to uh, this game, when we saw the team sheets come out, it was quite clear that he's a, a manager that's willing to make big decisions and he's left out Ryan Edwards the club captain yeah. and brought in young Loy Kaina who I thought did very well um, last night if you were going to pick a, a game that would be tough for a, a young centre half I would probably pick Livingston away when Joel Newbley's in the form that he's in I know Joel Newbley was out on the wing but he was drifting inside and quite often made contact with, with Loy Kaina so um, he, I thought he did very well but it's a big call to leave out your captain. He's an influential yeah. figure. He's a he's a big personality, and with any team, it's it's a big call to leave out your captain. So, you're absolutely bang on in what you say. One thing that is absolutely apparent is he's come in with fresh eyes, and because he doesn't have a whole 
season to develop and tweak and change. He is making decisions on a game-by-game, training-session-by-training-session basis in terms of what is the right team. And I think the fact that it's that sort of a instantaneous you know, meritocracy, if you like, is is going to invigorate every player in that squad. They know they'll get a chance if they're, um, if they're doing the business and training and, and particularly if they can show something in, in any minutes they do get on the pitch. Does he, looking at Edwards in particular, has he also given him a chance of getting a, an experienced centre-half back before the end of the season by taking him out because he has been involved in bad goals again over the last two or three games and maybe maybe the best thing for the player is to sit and watch and, and reflect for a short period. I don't think that's a, a, a crazy thing to suggest, no. I mean, we asked um, Jim about, you know, uh, Ryan Edwards last night, slightly um, slightly too far on in the conversation to actually make today's paper, so that'll be in tomorrow's paper, uh, Friday's paper. So if you're listening to this before Friday, then you're getting a, a, little, a little taster. But, <laughs> uh, you know, and he was, he was fulsome in his praise for Ryan Edwards because basically said, you know, he told Ryan Edwards that he wouldn't be playing on... Um, on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, um, and the reaction of him since then has been out of this world. Basically, he had a you know fantastic training session on Tuesday and has been the loudest voice in that dressing room in terms of geeing up the guys and making sure his replacement was ready to go in and perform well and all the things that you would want from a captain. And that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Ryan Edwards hasn't reached the levels, certainly recently and probably over the entire campaign that Ryan Edwards is capable of, but. And listen, we all we all point out errors. We all criticise it. It's, it's uh, well analyse maybe a better you know description because you don't deliberately go out to be critical. But uh, you know that's that's the job. But from elsewhere, I think some of the criticism can be a, a, a wee bit harsh. I think it can start to veer over towards um, questioning somebody's character um, and kind of what they've got about themselves, which I think. Mm-hmm. without knowing people is, is, is taking it a step too far. And I think, yeah, whether it's been on TV or whether it's just social media in general, I think that there's at times been a step from analysing a performance to, you know, questioning whether somebody cares or whether somebody's trying hard enough, which I, I think there's no need for that. And I think from what, what Jim Goodwin was We've saying about... We've all worked in the game for a few years and I think, I think one thing we'd all agree on is footballers who don't care are few and far between. Absolutely. I don't think I could count or fill the fingers of one hand with names mm. of footballers who I thought you don't care. Yeah, and it's worth it's worth saying it's without wanting to state the obvious here. I realise Dundee United aren't Real Madrid or whatever, but it's it's incredibly difficult to become a professional footballer at the level that these guys are playing at. So yeah. if you're the sort if you're the sort of character or personality that doesn't have drive and personal pride, you simply don't make it to this level. So it's a it's an it's an un, it's an unfair criticism. Some of the I should say because it's not been like you know it's not as if everybody's saying this or everyone's writing it, but I just think some of the criticism has been a wee bit over the score when it starts to get um, a little bit personal or you're questioning somebody's desire or character. He's not. Playing Playing well, he would be the first to tell you that. And yeah, I'm looking at Ryan Edwards. The 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 goal that he he was at fault with against Aberdeen last weekend. What occurred to me wasn't f. It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of commitment. It was it was a boy whose bad forms got to him. He's this season. He's given away a few. He's known. He's known as a strong defender. 
and he gave, he's given away a few goals this season when you would expect him to have put the ball out and he's tried to keep it in play and that's caused his problem and to me that suggests it's not a bad thing it can be helpful for him to have a wee spell sitting just thinking and you know getting his his brain back into gear almost uh, because it's just like it's it's almost the same mistake mistake being repeated and it's, that's not about that's not a bad attitude that that's a boy having a bad time that and surely Jim Goodwin's given him the best chance now to get that out of his head or get it, get his head sorted out. Yeah, and he's also never a right-sided centre back in a three uh, mm-hmm. in a month of Sundays. He just isn't. It's you know, it's people think, oh, a centre back's a centre back regardless of what shape you're playing. It's just not the case. I mean, it's it's no. as the, the two roles central defender in a three or right-sided defender in a three is as diff- are as different as playing right back compared to right wing in terms of you know the the mobility you require and the defensive uh, you know, going forward or all, all that sort of thing he's when you're playing right side of center back so much of your time is spent going out to the flank to cover in behind a you know, a, a bombing on wing back. If you are, if you're on the attack, if the team turn out, you know, if the team turns over possession, yeah. uh, you need to be mobile enough to get across there and cover. And that's not Ryan Edwards' game. You know, it's just how often do you hear a, a commentator say when a, when pro, usually in a back four, if a centre half is is dragged out to the wing, those commentators say, you know, he doesn't want to be out there. Doesn't want to be out there. Well, see, when you're playing in a back three, you, you spend half your time out there. So yeah. it's it's it is a it's a very different role, and I I don't think I'm speaking out of school to suggest that it's not a role that suits Ryan Edwards. So going forward, I think I, I would be playing like Aina, um, or when if Aina isn't fit, I'd be you know or available, I would be playing Liam Smith as right sided centre half. And there is one role for central defender in that three. And it should be between Mulgrew and Edwards. And right now, Mulgrew has the jersey. Mulgrew was good against Aberdeen. Mulgrew was, I thought, excellent against Livingston. Um, again, another, you know, you spend too much time in this echo chamber, so you're loath to suggest that this is the opinion of a widespread majority. But again, Charlie Mulgrew is someone that gets a lot of flack from supporters. and he, But he remains, if the right shape is around him, a very capable centre-half. And... Mm-hmm. He was good against Aberdeen and he was very good against Livingston. So he's got the jersey, but I would have absolutely no fear whatsoever Ryan Edwards coming back into that team, providing he replaced Charlie Mulgrew in that that kind of heart of um, heart of defence. So, uh, yeah, and, and when he does come in, I, I genuinely think he would be refreshed and determined. So good decision and could be the best for, for all parties, but... Um, uh, interesting to see what goes forward, and as I say, the, the moral of the story really is kind of what a what a big call it was from the manager. Yeah, and that, that's what you need. I mean, it, I mean, it always also strikes me playing Mulgrew, who's had a few bad games this season as well. The other thing in goal, he's gone for Birigiti. Is it a case of accepting it's not been a great season? There will still be mistakes. Put the players in there the experienced players in there who can handle the mistakes. If they make a mistake, they, they can shrug it off and go on with their job. Where younger players, it can affect them over a whole game and then beyond. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair assessment. Um, Mark Berigiti 
has gone a couple of games now without conceding a goal for which he was directly kind of responsible. But, I mean, last night, a, a trickling, pretty weak Stephen Bradley shot spilled through his hands and hit the post. So let's not pretend that all of a sudden he looks like Lev Yashin. It's not, it's not um, the case. He's, um, he, I, he still gives you moments of, of concern. Um, but as you touch upon, he's... He does have experience. He does have pedigree. He has played in big games before. Um, he's. You would suggest that in terms of reacting to any mistakes that might happen, yeah, he, could, he, he might handle that better than, for example, a, a Jack Newman would. So, um, in terms of, do, do I think he's done enough to you know be Dundee United's goalkeeper for the next three or four years? And I, I don't think so. It would probably be. Um, uh, quite on my high on my list for a for for, for a change, but because I, I just for, for whatever reason I, I just don't think it's it's worked out particularly well for mm-hmm. for any party, and God knows I can't put my finger on why because there's nothing in his history that would suggest that he should have had such a bad time. Um, but he remains. I mean, when you speak to him, he is in, incredibly confident to speak to, and appears to have broad shoulders and a, a, a healthy amount of self-regard. So hopefully um, for the rest of this campaign, because I, I, it certainly looks like the club won't be signing Bill Hamid. It looks like um, unless Jim Goodwin's got a rabbit he's about to pull out the hat, that it certainly seems that, that Mark Berigiti will be between the sticks for this relegation run-in. So over the next 10 games, he is going to need that self-confidence and uh, belief to, to turn in the performances that are required because it is going to get tense, it's going to get nervy and even yeah. if he's not at the top of his game, even if he's not in the best form of his life, having somebody that can at least shoulder that burden of the big occasions and have a bit of swagger about himself and and um, uh, and, and believe that he belongs in that stage oh, could be could be beneficial for sure. Hmm. It's, it's far too late to be shopping around anyway, isn't it? Even Bill Hamid is, is, feels extremely late to me if, if you're in a relegation battle and you, Bring in a new goalkeeper that hasn't played for. Well, there's a reason he's a free agent because he hasn't been playing for somebody. It's, and yeah, you have to give him games to get up to speed. It just doesn't seem like it's a viable option. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought you stick with with what you've got and, and yeah, kind of work with it. I, w- I would think. Yeah, it's it's a fair point, and I think the the fact that that Jim's had a, a conversation with him and and kind of assessed his fitness and decided that it's not not the way that he wants to go would suggest that he's probably you know very much in uh, in your train of thought in terms of what it would require to get a keeper up to speed. Mm. I mean, there are ten games left. 10 games like exactly. it's just you know yeah. what one is this is either going to go this the next 10 games are either going to go well or they're going to be a disaster and, and, and united are going to get relegated those are the two realities and i just feel like the chances of you getting a goalkeeper in that is going to fundamentally affect those realities over the next 10 games are probably quite um are, are probably quite limited so just wait until the summer see what division you're in and rebuild properly rather than making panic moves on March the 10th mm. and your description of last night which was very very accurate I'm sure and uh, from watching uh, a bit on Saturday there seems to they seem to have got a bit of fight back and again it's not a, uh, that's not me saying that the la- they didn't have the right attitude but things got on top of players things go wrong heads go down but I thought even 
again, bad mistakes cost them against Aberdeen, but they lost the goal and came back and levelled the game and were, were at least in the game, albeit the two late goals did them in. And last night, you've described it, they came, had a horrendous start to the game. But that must give fans encouragement, must give Jim Goodwin encouragement that, that he doesn't want to see the bad side of his players and his team. But they came back and got a point. And I mean, it's something to build on, isn't it? Absolutely. They could have collapsed in that second half. Um, you know, I, I tweeted at half time saying, you know, they couldn't possibly be that bad in the second half. And all I really got was replies from United fans saying, have you seen us this season? We can definitely be that bad in the second half. <laughs> because said that about Manchester United on Sunday. <laughs> Sorry, it's, I had to get take, that in, George. It's taken 20 minutes. So. <laughs> anyway, back to the yeah. big United. But it's, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, and, and that, although there was a certain gallows humour to that, um, it also kind of is a fair point. We've seen Dundee United have poor first half and then come out in the second and actually completely capitulate. Um, so yeah, the fact that uh, they didn't do that... and It was they, a brave tweet because they have proved this season they can get even worse. Yeah, oh yeah, but don't worry, I'm no stranger to tweeting stupid things that look ridiculous <laughs> in hindsight. Um, but it's... Uh, I, one, of the, one of the stats that I thought was quite... Uh, damning that I've quoted a few times uh, is the fact that this season Dundee United had lost the first goal in a game 19 times and they had lost 18 of those games it is yeah. a, a, it was a statistic that basically smacks of a team completely incapable of recovering from setbacks so make no mistake at all, see the fact that they've gone a goal down and got something from the game, that's a mental block, like don't, you know we yeah. don't you know, we're not gen geniuses in this industry and can pull out statistics that players don't know about. You know, in, in 2023, players have all the information, all the data, all the statistics. They know what's going right. They know what's going wrong. They would have known about that inability to um, get back from losing positions. So that would be a real monkey off the back for that group to basically say, Do you know what, see when we go a goal down we don't necessarily lose football yeah. matches, which, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but in terms of a first step that United needed to tick off while on a seven-game losing run, that was right up there among them. So, yeah, um, not perfect in terms of performance. Aye, well, but you, again, being in the game, you, you two know, know it as well as I do, it's the kind of thing players say when they're on a bad run and you bump into them. Not, you, I mean, you're not necessarily doing a story or something like that, but it's the kind of thing they say is, our problem is if we lose the first goal, mm. we're beat. Mm -hmm. And it does play on players' minds. So it's, it's a big thing for them to say, it's not a disaster if we lose a goal. And let's be honest, the nature of this season, the form of this season, there are going to be games where they do that. And it's they've got to have that within them that they say, well, this is not the end of the game. To totally agree. It, yeah, and what... Yeah, sorry, Alan. It's... Um, Going into the, the next few games, and, and maybe they're not playing well because they, they weren't good in the first half on, on Wednesday, but the next few games, if they're not playing well, but they're still in the game, they, they've still they've given themselves that wee kernel of, of confidence or kind of optimism that they've got it within themselves to get something out of a game where they're not particularly playing uh, as best as they can. And I, th I agree with Alan what I was saying earlier, but it's such a big point because it's just moving to within touching distance of the teams above you, you've got to play all the teams. It's the beauty of the split, uh, which isn't too far away now. 
games coming up. You've got one against Rangers. Simone, Hibbs, Mullowall, Livy before the before the split. They all look pretty fairly winnable for a I'll say that for a team that hasn't won very many games all season, but you know what I mean? Is it they're, they're not Celtic away or or Hearts away or anything like that. There's there's games there were you look like you could pick up some points and, and just having that wee foundation from the game against Livy, it could be could be the, the thing that sets them going, but it's up to them to actually make use of that going forward. It's interesting what Tam yeah. says there about um you know oh, I said something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that time of the year again. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it won't last. It's, it's uh, what he was saying about kind of speaking to, to players and, and you know what they'll they'll say and, and the things that are you know when the tapes aren't on the things that are are getting to them or the things that are foremost foremost in their mind and the amount of times I've heard you know ah oh, you know we didn't didn't actually play badly at the weekend you know we played all right but mm-hmm. you know mistakes are just killing us and you know we played okay but you know and, and so often it's you know we played we had nice moments and we played quite well and you know weirdly the best thing that could maybe have happened to this Dundee United team is for them to, for 55 minutes, be absolutely rubbish and get a point because, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it tells the players that it can work the other way. It tells the players that it's not yeah. always just a case of them playing well but then getting hit in the soccer punch. They can do that. They can play badly and it's not all about the performance. It's about digging. It's about grinding out and it's about it's about staying in games when you're playing badly. That The fact that over that forty-five minutes, they only conceded one goal. That's that's what it's all about. It might it, it was terrible to watch, and it might have felt bad to play. And I'm, I'm quite sure it did that first half. But don't collapse. Keep it to one, and uh, see if you keep it to one. And even if you just keep it to two, there's always a chance you'll get back in the game. And I think, you know, these are lessons that experienced professional footballers don't need me to be telling them clearly. But when you're living it, when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the bubble and, and feeling the pressure a wee reminder that, that these things are, are possible and, and that could be the route out of relegation as I think that it will be welcome. Yeah, I mean, it's for, just to develop that interesting point I made, it's, it's occurred to me when you were saying that, that maybe because we're in the trade, we, we don't appreciate that, that listeners and our, our readers don't quite sort of get the... Th- the power of the notebook or the tape recorder, as soon as you produce a notebook <laughs> or you touch, you turn your tape recorder on, professional players switch on and they say the right things. When you put them back in your pocket, there's this, sometimes when things are going wrong at a club, there's, there is a sigh and things that they obviously don't want to say in public comes out like, we get beat by the first goal or, oh, the defence isn't right and, oh, and this and that and... and, and and, and and people who are on you know on the other side of the fence as as the customers if mm-hmm. you, if you like don't don't quite get it that, that over time we see things that that do affect players which is maybe why we'll defend a lot more than your ordinary fan players against accusations that are not trying hard enough because these guys get really troubled by details because they do pay attention to their job. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could, I could not agree more. It's, um, you know, you see how much these guys are are hurting. You know, it's uh, it is, uh, not a nice situation for them to be in. And there is a general feeling in there that they're not playing to, that this season hasn't been them playing to their potential and they've let down a lot of people. And 
if you think that's a nice feeling, or if you think that's something that professional athletes with a level of determination and pride that it takes to become a top level level athlete can just shrug that off, then then you're kidding yourselves. And it's you know it's you know you see you see all the replies to when you know we speak to players and, and the interviews come out and you know and I get it. Fans are sick of hearing the same things and and. Um, are, are are sick of you know not getting the results on the pitch to go with that, but at the same time, players <laughs> there are a, a finite amount of things players can say without getting to a point where you're throwing people under the bus or you're sounding defeatist yeah. and down. They need, you need to be positive. You need to they're doing a part of their job, which is trying to remain positive and trying to get a a, a good message out there, which sometimes falls in deaf ears when the results aren't coming. I totally understand that, but they aren't to blame for that. And also it is very, um, it's, it's more positive, I think, and, uh, and more useful than going to ground and let uh, this alternate universe where Dundee United lose a game and they're four points adrift at the bottom of the league and nobody speaks for the next mm-hmm. three days until they do a next game. Mm-hmm. At, at which point, you're, you're hiding, nobody's fronting up and I, I think yeah. it takes me to my wider bugbear which is sometimes the players that get the most stick are the players that do press the most in a, in a bad season and yeah. what you'll find is every club and, and George will know this as well, he can maybe speak to the ones that do it for Dundee but there are certain players who will always front up, they're willing to say do you know what, I'll take the bullets, I'll um I'll, uh, you know, Paul I'll McKinnon's do- gone now though <laughs> yeah. There's a vacancy at Dens yeah, and and you know, so I look at somebody like a, a Liam Smith or a Ryan Edwards or a Stephen Fletcher. We will always front up and try to explain what went wrong or try to explain the deficiencies in a performance or 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 the situation that they're in, and that kind of makes them a, a target. And um, I feel like I've maybe gone off at a tangent, but I do feel like it's, I, I do think it's a real shame when players like that get stick when they are yes. simply the ones mm-hmm. that are big enough to say when the media man comes into the office and says uh, you know c- c- who can we have that can go up and speak to the press they put their hand up and say I'll listen I'll front up you know um, they deserve because there are credit. some players that, that won't do it yeah there's a few there's back. a few old pros out there that yeah. just keep their head down and say no come, come yeah. back when we've won four in a row <laughs> but to, to finish United on a positive uh, note Tannadice last Saturday showed that seems the cost of living crisis is over because some Aberdeen fans had so much money they were <laughs> throwing it at Jim Goodwin or buying goods to, to donate to his his food bank fund. I thought you were going to say his hairstyle. <laughs> but, but on a more serious note, probably the answer is never, but when's it going to stop? I mean, I, I was slightly surprised that he was surprised at the reaction he got from the Aberdeen fans because I expected him to get stick throughout the game, and he did. And as long as it's not too personal, I don't see anything wrong with verbal stick. It's part of the game. But throwing coins and pies and drinks, enough's enough, really. But that's I, it, I, I think you might get a different reaction. <laughs> Sorry, they might get a different reaction, I think, against St Martin. Another club he knows well, they might be handing him pies rather than throwing them at him. But it's, yeah, I, th- I don't really understand it. I, I know things went really bad at Aberdeen. Um, but I mean, they're not getting relegated. They're not. They're not in serious trouble 
Um, they had one really embarrassing result and a yes. couple of bad ones. Um, I think it was a bit over the top in terms of throwing stuff. Well, it's oh, always it's over the top. Unacceptable. But, yeah. Um, he seemed to... I quite like the way Jim Goodwin talks and he seemed to kind of state it kind of matter, matter of fact. Is that the way he came across after the game on Saturday? Yeah, he, he did. And he seemed... I mean, he, I wouldn't say upset because um, he's quite a... <laughs> It's quite, I mean, I've got very limited dealings with, with Jim other than a, since he's walked in the door at Tannadice but he's quite a steely-eyed character so I wouldn't say upset yes. was the word but what I would say mm-hmm. is he, he did seem a little baffled genuinely baffled by it and I can get that because in all the the press that he's done he's been very, very complimentary towards Aberdeen he, he clearly has a lot mm, of yes. affection for Stephen Gunn and Dave Cormack and I know some Aberdeen fans took umbrage with the notion that he was sacked on the back of you know a bad two weeks um, rather than you know the, the, some of the other failings you know, I know their away form wasn't great etc I'm, I'm not an Aberdeen expert but it's uh, you know I do understand um, that some Aberdeen fans didn't agree with his assessment of his time at Aberdeen like I get that but the the anger and the vitriol was um, was completely over the score um, I'd, I've got no idea what would possess people to to lob stuff at him and, uh, and all that sort of thing I, I, he seemed to prompt a level of anger that was totally out of kilter with just somebody who did his best and didn't do a great job somewhere like that happens as I said previous mm-hmm. the, the previous week you know every manager has a bad time at one of their clubs there's no manager that doesn't have um, a failure yeah. somewhere on their CV and for the fans of that club to be quite so angry about it when he has been as far as I can tell and and please you know if there's any Dons fans that, that are hearing this and and have other examples where I'm, I'm being foolish but as far as I'm aware hasn't really said anything bad about Aberdeen hasn't given any tell-all interviews where he said he was done over or anything I, I just... Yeah, I, I, as as uh, sorry, as Tam says, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, the he expected takes stick. Credit for my good length. <laughs> he deserves it. The amount of your stuff he's polished <laughs> up over the years. Well, Translates them into English, so it's fair enough. <laughs> do you, no, do, you, do you think the six o'clock kickoff maybe? Um, I, I don't know. It exacerbated that because I, I I was driving up to Cove Rangers. Obviously, I was going up to Aberdeen. Uh, before I was before twelve, and I saw a bus on Albert Street full of Aberdeen fans. So obviously there was a yes. lot of fans came down had for a long the day. Afternoon yeah, so I'm it. just wondering whether just that extra few hours just pushed one or two over the edge. I think. Yeah, I mean you're the, too nice, George. Possibly. George the, the bottom line is, if anyone can't control themselves and the time yeah. it takes them to put their hand in their pocket to take a coin out and stop themselves throwing it at someone, as well as they should be punished if they're caught. They should take a long, hard look at themselves, yeah. really. I would it's also be loath to say... self-control. Because we know what police are like in, in this country. The, the, the well, Be careful what I say. But I, I, I think it's uh, football fans can sometimes get a bit of a raw deal and the perception of them can sometimes lean over to the always assuming the worst, let's just say that. Mm. And I would be, I think it would be a real shame if they were to look at this, which I suspect they might, and say, well, these 6 p.m., games are for the bin whereas this was maybe two or three absolute morons that 
Yeah, the vast majority of people behaved themselves. Yes, not only did they behave themselves, but the atmosphere of all of these evening kickoffs uh, that Aberdeen and United have had this, this season have been super. They've been really, really good, and it's been something different, and it's, it was a night under the floodlights. The atmosphere was crackling. It was a really, really good spectacle, um, sadly ruined by a, a minority, but mm. it'd be a real shame if the authorities were to look at that and say, well, do you know what? That goes straight in the bin because we do that too often in this country where yeah. we have the, yeah. the, the kernels of a good idea, but maybe there's some teething problems and your initial instinct is to panic and throw it all in the bin. I, I really don't think that should happen. So um, yes, the George, you're absolutely bang on. There's, there was some silliness that probably wouldn't happen without an extra three hours drinking time. But you know, we can can iron that out, and we can maybe look to to enforce certain things and and look to do it that way rather than just saying, do you know what, let's get these six o'clock kickoffs mm. in the bin because I've I've quite liked the aspects of it. Well, there's maybe just a unique situation where obviously good and leaving happening so. So such a short time ago, it's only a few weeks since that Darvall game. It only feels like a couple of weeks ago. Um, and maybe had it been this time next season and he'd had a bit of time between leaving the club, maybe the vitriol wouldn't have been quite as bad. It's maybe just one of those one-off afternoons. Yeah, perhaps. Well, here's hoping. Right, moving on from the excitement of Dundee United. God is great. Dundee, go to Cove and get the dull, boring 2-0 win we've all been crying out for, George. Uh, yeah, it was dull. <laughs> I have to say, it wasn't the best performance, from, but they got the job done. They got three points on the board. Queen's Park slipped up and we're back to two points. Um, it feels like that's going to be a, a regular occurrence, or whoever's top that... Nobody's going to run away with it. And I think that was the weekend was a case in point. Um, Cove aren't a great side at the moment, I have to say. But Dundee Dundee got it done. Dundee were the better team. Deserved it. They had chances before they scored. It wasn't a brilliant first half, but they scored right on half-time. Great time to score. Lyle Cameron, ninth goal of the season. Uh, goals keep coming for him. And then Lee Ashcroft, who was a hero the last time they went up. Uh, got his second goal of the season, only his second. Um, and that's been managed the game really missing, well. No, no, no. It's not his. It's not his main job, but it's mm. been something that's been missing this season. Are Ashcroft's goals? Yeah, and was he, it a classic Ashcroft? N- no, it was not a towering header. It was a. I thought it was a move from the training ground, but it was a. It was a short corner routine. Cover caught sleeping. Ben Williamson was a sharper mind and Paul McMullen played it in low to him just basically just inside the box took one touch and smashed it across the goal and, and Lee Ashcroft was the man in the right place to to hit it home um, it was a really nice goal um, different to his usual kind of strikes but the the manager said after the game obviously called him a, a warrior and, and Braveheart and a, you could it looked a bit like I, I could, it's good to see uh, Gary yeah. Boyer picked, it, picked up his book of Scottish cliches <laughs> at the border well I called him Rambo because he had the big uh, what border the, were you well, at? he had the, the white headband on because he cut his head <laughs> against Partick um, so he looked he looked like a warrior on the pitch and obviously he's, he's been a really top player for Dundee since he's he's been in the door um, 
scored a lot of goals, won player of the year, fans player of the year and players player of the year the last time they went up. You could tell, speaking to him, that he's been a bit annoyed that he's not scored that many goals this season because he's had chances. Uh, but I, I was having a look back at that when Dundee started that run uh, back in the championship a couple of years ago. His second goal of that season, he scored seven overall, but his second goal of that season didn't arrive until March 19th. Of course, he started early. Yeah, so, I mean, history could could repeat. I, I wouldn't put it past him to, to go on a bit of a scoring run, well, a centre-back scoring run, but to add to his two goals already, Ryan Sweeney too, he's he's had a bunch of chances. He's scored three this season. It's, it's a really strong part of Dundee's team, and he showed that on Saturday. Um, the two of them were really dominant, uh, and Dundee managed the game pretty well. Um, there was not much criticism of, of Gary Boyer's subs this time um, from punters, and, and as I say, the main the main thing was just getting those three points on the board. Every every team now has nine games to go, and it's, it's set up for a, a really interesting finish. And Alan, going back to George's great start, on that, we're all been very nice to each other today, by the way. What's, <laughs> what's going wrong? That start on Ashcroft almost sums him up. Uh, his time at Dundee and Dunfermline before that, he's a guy that's there when he's needed, isn't he? Yeah, he's a leader. He's. Uh, mm. I really like Lee Ashcroft. And yeah, there have been moments that this Dundee defence this season, uh, I don't think I've... I think the best way to put it would be we maybe haven't quite looked like the sum of their parts in terms of the, the individuals that they've got in there. But um, Lee Ashcroft is, is one of those individuals who is very, very capable, particularly in the championship. Um, as you allude to there, I mean, I dealt with him a lot more back when he was the skipper of Dunfermline. And, you know, we're talking earlier about guys that always front up, guys that are always there, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, don't always play well, but always give you... Um, picking up that big book of cliches again always give you 110%. So it's um, he's a, a player who, yeah, 100%. See when the it becomes crunch time and there's actually something on the line and nerves start to jangle and, <clears throat> yeah, people, people start to get... Um, a little bit nervy. I, I think he is one of those guys that undoubtedly will will step up. And yeah, the goal threat is such a such a great point because it won't always be champagne football when you get to this stage of the season. There will be grinds and there will be ugly games where every chance one set piece decides it. And if you're looking at somebody in there who can, you know, I, I know it wasn't a traditional uh, Lee Ashcroft goal at the weekend, but um, it's if you're looking at somebody who can. Um, you know, power home a header to decide a tight one nil or something like that. Uh, you'd be Lee Ashcroft. I would suspect would be pretty high on your list. Aye, and Georgie's a boy who his injury record actually shows he puts his body on the line for his teams, doesn't he? Yeah, that, and that's it. Really cost Dundee uh, last season. I thought when he, he picked up that really bad um, hamstring injury, and that came from him playing on after picking up kind of lesser hamstring injury if you know what I mean and then it properly pinged um, and, and then he was out for pretty much the whole season or, or close to it um, there was a lot of things went wrong last season uh, otherwise but Dundee would have been a far harder team to beat with Lee Ashcroft in their side um, and yeah just sporting that that headband he was, he was compared with uh, Terry Butcher of course there, there was no blood this time but he just looked the part of a 
all action kind of putting his body on the line defender warrior Braveheart as as I always already mentioned that he's going to be a huge player for for Dundee and just uh, talking about the defence in terms of this week I've been looking at some of the stats comparing Dundee to the, the, the other teams that around them in the table, Dundee actually have the best defence in the entire league um, going by goals conceded which seems bizarre considering when things go bad they go really bad and they concede three or four sometimes they've also kept that's their 12th clean sheet of the season Uh, next nearest is on eight which tells you when things go right then Dundee just keep keep the other team out and I think that could be really really important between now and the end of the season I mean not just the defence Dundee in general but if, if we stick the, the, yeah. to the defence their problem this season has been their bad days because most of the time they'll look a really good defensive unit don't they yeah it's, it's really strange how sometimes they can just fall apart because um, that, that happened last week against Partick Um and they were very poor in that game. Although, again, looking at the stats of that one, it's, if you just looked at the stats, you wouldn't think the difference between the yeah. team was so stark with it when you're watching it, uh, which was quite interesting. But th- they were too easily opened up at, and, and a couple of set pieces, and it, it just uh, it wasn't a good night. Um, they will certainly have to cut those out. But it, it kind of g- gave me optimism for for the rest of the season just looking at the the underlying stats on all the teams um because although they haven't scored as many as as the rest around them and missing chances it's been a real problem the only games they haven't scored in has been the three against Greenock Martin so they can get goals they can keep goals out it's just about putting the two together yeah and Alan you mean you touched on it when you were speaking about Ashcroft uh, the value of a defence at this time of the season can be everything because there's there's going to be games that aren't pretty and are close and if you can be keeping clean sheets at this time of the season it can be worth gold can't it? Yeah actually yeah fascinating what George is saying there about that defensive record because Mm. and I don't you know, clearly uh, tend to be otherwise occupied when <laughs> Dundee are playing on a Saturday. <laughs> obviously, uh, following United, and it's uh, it's so so bare and and George will see you know plenty more. It's uh, not so much time. He's usually at a Serie A game or on holiday somewhere. But it's uh, it's um, I'm having a late lunch. <laughs> yeah, it's a case. Oh, I always keep in touch on my phone. <laughs> but you know, so it's funny that I have that perception that maybe Dundee aren't um, as defensively solid as the, the numbers certainly mm. suggest they are and I think that it is It surprised me I have to say Yeah, yeah I think it is, it's, an, it's almost indicative of the the nature of you know when they've had bad days they've had such bad days that they kind of linger in your mind yeah. and make you think that it's not been a great defensive season so that sounds to me that you know just <laughs> Just can't you know keep the heat on the bad days if you like you know it just make sure that yeah. things don't don't spiral because there's clearly a good um, defensive unit there if um, if Gary Boyer gets his his team right and the the players perform to the the level they're needed but yeah if they can keep to the level of of consistency that's got them to have the best defensive record in the league then you would always back them to score goals 
without a shadow of a doubt, the players they've got and touched on Lyle Cameron there. He's kind of, I was going to say low key, but I mean, it's probably, we're probably getting beyond low key. I think everyone's starting to sit mm. up and take no- to notice. Keep him low key, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it strikes me he's a boy we might not be watching for in dark blue for much longer because yeah, hell of a contribution he's making, isn't that, he? That's what, I, that's what I mean, you know, kind of, uh, maybe he's now gone from low-key to making waves, but having a super season, really good. So um, exciting to see see what comes from him because this is a, a properly breakout campaign in a way that, mm-hmm. um, you know. So much so it's time for George to do a story with someone saying he's still got a lot to learn in the best place for him, <laughs> Dens Park. <laughs> Never works though, someone always buys them. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because this, Alan's uh, quite right in terms of a breakthrough season, it, he has quite clearly learned as the season's gone on. He, he's, he's a very kind of bright guy when you, when you speak to him, he speaks really well, he's confident uh, in himself. You can see that on the pitch, but Early in the season, he was only scoring in the cup games, mainly against lower league teams. League goals took a while to come along. They have started to come out. He's only, of the nine, only three of them are in the league. One was against Hamilton, and two have been against Cove. So, he's scoring against maybe the, well, not maybe, but the, the weaker teams in the league now, hopefully he can take that next step over the next few weeks and start scoring big goals again in the team the games against teams at the top end of the, the table and I really wouldn't put it past him um, as I say he's got that confidence he's stepped up to take a couple of penalties he stepped up he obviously missed one in the shootout against Simon I think it was the the last one which could affect a young player quite badly in, in terms of his team losing a, a big cup game where they played quite well and he played quite well and then he had the the kind of the balls to stand up again and grab the ball in a in a league game and, and obviously it got it didn't go well it, it was saved as well but it hasn't affected him he keeps going he's annoyed that the goal against Inverness was chopped off because uh, he was quite clearly onside so that would have killed that stat when I was talking about scoring against the teams at the bottom end of the mm-hmm. table but he's become a really really important player for Dundee. Interesting this week speak to Lee Wilkie about his column. He, he mentioned when he uh, Lyle Cameron actually played in Jack Wilkie, Lee's son, Sunday Boys team, along with Josh Mulligan and Chris Mockery, which sounds like a ridiculously talented Sunday Boys team. Um, but he was talking about how he felt that Cameron had maybe been held back over the past couple of years because he, he kept getting played out wide think because he's short mm-hmm. and he's young managers didn't have maybe that confidence to stick him in the middle of the park in that number 10 position and that's where he's been playing over the last few weeks and he's been really making a real impact um so it's kudos to Gary Boyer for kind of sticking with a young player and putting him in a really important position yeah in an important part of the season uh, and it, it is paying off must have the, the times I've seen him Goals will always get you headlines because we're dull bone and cliched, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but I mean, if I was, uh, I would imagine if I, scouts that are sent to watch him, because they'll be watching him already because his goals have put him in the limelight to an extent. Every time I've seen him, I, I love the way he's a positive passer, and I also love the way that he 
he'll play a pass, it doesn't come off. And the next time the team get the ball, he wants the ball mm-hmm. and he'll play another positive pass. He's 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 got a bit about him mentally, hasn't he? He's got a bit of confidence about Definitely. him. Definitely. Because on Saturday, uh, up at Cove, I, I didn't think he was having a great game in that first half. But he kept plugging away. He had a, he had a good shot that it went straight at Scott Fox, but it stung the hands and it was a good hit. Um, and then obviously the, the ball fell to him on the edge of the box and, it, and it, he got a bit of luck. It was deflection that took it past the goalkeeper, but he has absolutely no fears about his ability to, to take shots and, and play those key passes. And that's a huge asset for any player, but it's particularly a young player coming through and, and trying to find their way as a senior footballer because he's pretty small, I mean, in terms of stature. George, everyone's small next to you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But um, it can be difficult to, to find your way um, up against... Yeah big, huge uh, guys that oh, we're talking about Lee Ashcroft that Lee, Big Lee must be about twice the size of it, Lyle Cameron um, but he's competing in a really physical and demanding league uh, and he's only going to get better as well, which, which is great for Dundee, hopefully he sticks around longer than this summer when his contract runs out just like everybody else I think there'll be a few suitors uh, another thing that uh, I think players like him as well. You mentioned you've mentioned stats a few times today, George. You've obviously been, had a quiet week and you've been reading up uh-huh. a bit. I've been channeling my inner Ewan Smith. That's it. I always think that the the likes of uh, Cameron are players that are actually stats don't always do them a service because mm. they might ha- have a sixty sixty five percent completion rate when it comes to their passes, but they're not passing the ball square. They're not passing the ball back. They're giving teams problems and they're hurting teams with their passes. And sixty, the 60% or 70% success ratio they have is what leads to goals. Yeah, he's a very progressive player. Um, all he's interested in is, is getting the ball in that net. Um, there's, there's, he's not the type that particularly overplays it either, which... Some players with that kind of ability can be guilty of, um, and he's a sharp finisher, which which is, I I I would say, is a skill you can't really teach. It's kind of obviously you can you can train and get better at finishing. You've got a midfielder that can score double yeah, figures. Exactly, he's, he just looks so natural when he gets in a position. He doesn't look like he's phased. He's, he's not going to miss. It obviously. He has missed at times, but he just looks confident and, and in control and Dundee have got a proper player in their hands. Mm-hmm. actually begs the question, Alan. I mean, I understand Dundee's policy of letting contracts run down this season and seeing where they are, but with the likes of Lyle Cameron, would you not make an exception trying to get him on a three-year contract? No, they have offered him a deal, but it's not been signed. Well, make him sign it. <laughs> It's, I mean, a Jim McLean disciple the, <laughs> from another age. I mean, it is a good, it is a good point. That none of us really, well, actually, some of us do know, but not everybody necessarily. I knows obviously didn't. When not every, not everybody knows that when <laughs> deals have been offered and when a player who, you know, there's this perception of oh, the the club have been this or have been that, or you know, it's dereliction of duty if a player's contract runs down. 
a hell of a lot of factors involved in getting a player tied down um, in modern football and one of those is they need to be willing to sign the contract and mm. players have all the power now that's just the bottom line and if you yeah. start to get if you start to I, I mean I, I don't know that George will be able to tell me better but I, I suspect what tends to happen or what can sometimes happen is negotiations with a player will start at a certain point in their development and then maybe six weeks later they've scored a couple of goals and their yeah. stock's on the rise and suddenly the conversation might need to be a slightly different conversation. That happens quite often with players because contract negotiations can take so long and a player's development can be so um, either swift or or otherwise. So it's... Um, it's, it's not always as easy as it sounds to get players tied up, but as, as George has written earlier this season, it's certainly, certainly an awful lot of them out of contract at Dens this summer. So, See, that's the bit me. The more, the, the further I get away from full-time employment and go back to fan thinking, I'm thinking, why not? <laughs> get them signed up. <laughs> I don't know, that's, yeah. Well, they were just, uh, it's, it's tricky. Um, obviously, th- there's, the whole compensation thing, which uh, was an issue across the road, uh, a certain player leaving for no compensation. But so I think Dundee have certainly made him an improved offer of what he had. Which uh, I have to do to protect the right to compensation, exactly. don't they? So possibly that um, improved offer at the start of the season, which is is when it was put on the table, as as Alan rightly says, maybe uh, Lila and his agent's thoughts have, have changed with, with his impact on the pitch. And, and it may just be one of these things that gets fixed at the end of the season when they know what division they're going to be in. And um, well, Cameron can sees that... Oh, does it, we've talked a lot on this podcast about young players leaving very quickly. Um, and I always th- think it's far better for players to be to stick around when they're going to get games and hopefully that's the case because he's certainly got a place in this Dundee team uh, for a while yet should he wish to st- stick around so fingers crossed he does hope so and talking of young players slightly spurious link I think it's uh, it's only right given that when he was Dundee manager he was sometimes criticised on this podcast. I think we should say well done to James McPake, who's now basically tied up promotion for Dunfermline with the the midweek win over Falkirk. It's done great, and very much enjoyed his post-match comments. It was uh, <laughs> cheeky, to say the <laughs> least. Um, Explain. <laughs> um, I think the last time... John McGlynn so, said last yeah. time the they won on corners one nil was it and they said we won on corners yeah <laughs> James McPake said on <laughs> said on Tuesday night did we win on, did we win on corners as well as winning two nothing that's a double yeah I, th- I think he'd tucked that away for I'd a, a later date yeah um, it seemed like a cracking night at East End Park I haven't watched the highlights obviously almost ten thousand punters in the, in the stadium which. It's been a long time since that has happened down there. So um, really pleased to see James and Pig doing so well down there. It's a massive club, but obviously Alan knows much more than me. I was going to say, Alan, it's an area you know better than us. And I'm not not disrespecting the Coves and the Arbroaths that are in the championship just now because they deserve to be there because they earned it. But overall, it it would be nice to see both Dunfermline and Falkirk 
back in the championship next season, wouldn't it? Yeah, particularly Dunfermline. They're the bigger club and have more potential. Um, it's, uh, we know Dunf- what part of central Scotland he comes from then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, when when things are going well for Dunfermline, when there's a, there's a big game, uh, there's you really see the the potential in that fan base. It's a it's a passionate area. It's a it's a big football club, and they've been woefully underachieving for a long time now. And and part of that was the remnants of falling into administration. So you know it's not as if they've just been underperforming apropos of nothing for for this long. It's you know they, they've gone through some some mm-hmm. difficult times. But I'd like I, to think I think that's a further credit to James McPeak because again he's a bit in a in a Dundee situation, isn't he, that everyone expects them to get out of League Two. Yeah. But it's not that simple because financially it's still tough at East End Park. And the other thing that is, makes it like a Dundee situation is he had to go in there and completely turn around the mentality of a football club. He had to lift it out of the doldrums at a time where things were bad and there wasn't a good vibe about the place at all. And he has taken what has become a... Over the years, that you know, Dunfermline had become a you know a lot of good people there, but in terms of what was happening on the pitch, there was always a sense of impending doom around the corner, or you know, yes. we'll, we'll narrowly miss out in the playoffs, or we're going to slip into relegation. Now we're in a relegation playoff, we're going to somehow lose to Queens Park, and all these worst case scenarios tended to sort of play out. And um, now it's a very different feel. He's brought some positivity. He's brought through some... The, the work he's done, for example, with a young player like Matty Todd has been absolutely outstanding and kind of reminiscent of of, of the how well he did in bringing through some young players during his time at Dundee. So, um, yeah, to, to your to your wider point, bags of potential at Dunfermline. Hopefully this is them on an upward trajectory because they've got their German investors. They've got... A, good manager now, they've got some fine young players and more than that they've got a, a togetherness now with the, the fan base and the community that that, that dissipated slightly um, uh, under, under some some previous managers so it's um, yeah, really positive times and I think whether you're just looking at the results or whether you're looking at the, the wider job that he's done James McPake's done a very, very, very good job at Dunfermline and I think uh, maybe not everybody will realise um just how big a job it's, uh, he's done there. So um, fascinating to see what, what what they do in the championship. And easy generally. after being Dundee manager. <laughs> well, it's um, I'm saying nothing, but it's um, it's, <laughs> it's I'm really looking forward to them um, in the championship. I just hope I'm not covering them too closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. You go back and thaw out now from last night. Oh, thank you. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people find Twa Teams One Street, and that means a lot to us. Don't forget to pick up your copy of the Tele Monday to Saturday for all the latest from Dens and Tanadice. Or go to the telly.co.uk to find out how you can get the paper delivered right to your door. <laughs>